Romans 1.1. Let's, can we put it on the screen? Can't read my Bible. The letters are too small. I like it. Okay. Father, we pray and thank you for this ministry. Thank you for, we thank you for Thanksgiving, that we can be thankful for so many things. And uh, we pray and bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Paul, a servant, and really the word servant is like a bond slave, uh, a little bit different than some people might think or be aware of, but it's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He has a call to be an apostle, and he's separated unto the gospel of God. Wasn't that a great message on the gospel this morning? Hello? Yeah, I love messages on the gospel. I went home and just started thinking about it, praying about it, and... Uh, Really, uh, it's amazing what a, what a ministry we're a part of. I really, one of the great thanksgivings of my day today is just thanking God that he's placed me here in this church, you know, with these amazing leaders and, and, and people here that really are, first thing we want to say, is separated to the gospel. The word is aphorizo, and it means uh, God has placed me. He's made boundaries in my life. There's boundaries in my life, and that... And, uh, let's speak about the church, first of all, because he's speaking to the church of Rome. And remember, the church uh, in Rome was, they say, about 140 people. And they were in a city of 4 million people. And it was an empire that controlled the whole world. I mean, for 900 years, Rome ruled the world. Now, what would you think about a church of 140 people up against that? Hello? In the natural, you say, finished, it's over. That's the end of that. It's kind of like Spurgeon talked about a dream he once had, and he saw a ring, like a boxing ring, where people would fight, and it was round like a globe, and he saw inside of that ring a roaring lion, very large, vicious lion, uh, very large and very vicious. And the fight was coming, and all of a sudden, strolling up to the, uh, that little arena there, was a small little lamb. And the small little lamb went in, and with one word, the lion was dead. The lion was gone. And so this, this church, which I was with Pastor Stevens once, and I said, well, we have a little church somewhere. He rebuked me. He said, there's no such thing as a little church. There's no such thing as a little church, you know. We have, we have a very large God, very big God, and Whatnot. So we've been separated unto the gospel, the ministry, and then us individually. And I think that's really amazing that I'm set apart to this message of the good news. And I'm not set apart uh, to my family. Love them. I'm not set apart to my business. I don't have one. <laughs> I'm not set apart to my job, my profession. I'm not set apart to my culture. I'm not set apart to the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not, set, I'm not set apart to sports. I'm not set apart to uh, so many things we could mention there. I am separated unto the gospel. Yeah, that's, I love Pastor Pete with steroids, you know, because uh, he got, he got, there came a point in his time when he made a decision to be separated to the gospel. And, and, and that, was, that was amazing what's happened in his life. And this is the kind of ministry we have, and this is what we want around the world. You know, Greater Grace has 800 churches. I had made a mistake one time. I think I was corrected by Pastor Ronaldo. 
if I don't remember, I think I said 770-something. And he said it's like more than that. It's like 800 or something. 800 churches in 80 countries with 33,000 people coming to church. That's incredible. I mean, we, we are here, and we see this, and this is great. It's a, it's a base of operation, but what's going on in, in the world is really phenomenal. And uh, I had a, a, an opportunity to go to Nepal and uh, Thailand, Nepal, Bangalore, India, and then Mumbai, and just to see what they're doing over there. I, I had a connection with 300 churches, 300 church leaders, and it's a, it's a privilege. I, I think I'm one of the most like, privileged people around because uh, that was October in Asia, and then I do uh, December in South America, January in West Africa, February in the Dominican Republic, March in Eurocon, Romania, and Budapest, April, South Africa, and uh, East Africa. Wow, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited, you know. I can see me even doing this in a wheelchair. I don't, I don't give a flying rip. That's, that's how it has to happen. That's how it happens, you know. By the way, it's happened before like that when I had a, a bad hip. But we've been separated to the gospel, amen? amen. And this is great to, to really understand that. You know, the devil comes with his accusations about our situations and things that might be going on in our lives. The old sin nature has these reflections that come out of it. And the world is always evaluating me. By the way, the world's not evaluating me. That's it. That, that, sorry about that. Bunch of idiots. They're not evaluating me <laughs> at all, Okay. Because I'm separated unto the gospel, set apart, aphorizo. There's boundaries around our lives and boundaries around our church. I think that's amazing. The second thing here in this portion of scripture is we have this vision. We have a vision, a purpose, and a plan. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 1. A vision, a purpose, and a plan. We're not just separated into the gospel, and that's something abstract and something very generalized. But he says we're going to reach all nations in 1.5. Romans 1.5, he says, to all nations. Then he says in uh, 1.7, I'm speaking to you at Rome. And then he says in 1.8, the whole world. Did you get me? All nations, you at Rome, and the whole world. This is, he's giving this vision to this group of people. And they might be looking at it saying, like, what is he talking about? I remember when Dr. Stevens would say things like, we're going to go into all the world with the gospel, we're going to reach people with the gospel, and, and he's up, there's up in Maine, and there's this uh, group of people, and you're thinking, like, how is this going to happen? Well, we just, let's just call it God. Can we just say Jesus? Who? Jesus. Jesus. So we've got all nations. He's telling them, you've got, there's a vision and a purpose and a plan for all nations for the city of Rome, which was 4 million, and for the whole world, going into the whole world. Sometimes we talk about that with people, and they look at us like we're something strange. There's something, what do you mean you're going into all the world? You know? How many people do you have in your church? 20,000? I said, no. You don't need 20,000 people. Those kind of churches could end up going the wrong way based on popularity. So we've got a separation to the gospel a vision of the gospel, then seven times in Romans chapter 1, he uses the word faith. Faith. And it's not my faith, it's the faith of the Son of God, Galatians 2.20. Are you with me? Philippians 3.9, Habakkuk 2, verses 5. Ephesians, uh, it's, it's, all over the, it's all over the Bible. It's the faith of the Son of God. He says, live by faith. 
Faith gets me out of sight, out of my emotions, out of evaluations, out of all these things that I, I'm told I should be doing. Do you know what you should be doing? You should have been retired 10 years ago. Really? <laughs> you retire. Michelin is right down the street. What are you talking about? Retire. Huh? No. We've got faith, and that faith comes by the word. We've got a pulpit that has the word. We've got a Bible. We've got faith, and it's the faith of the Son of God. It's not something that I manufacture. It's not something that comes from man as a source. It's God's faith. How many of you think Jesus has faith? Yep. Yep. Pastor Chris Arman? Yep. 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 Jesus has faith. The Father has faith. The Spirit has faith. What's my problem? Just receive it, right? Just be a receiver of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit's faith. He says, have faith. We can do this. We can take Rome. We can take all nations. We can take the whole world. Oh, boy. Hyper-spiritual person speaking. What's he talking about, you know? It's, got not, it's not reality. Somebody once told me I had to teach. In a, I, was in a, I was teaching in a university uh, on Christian psychology, and they told me I had to teach on reality therapy. I said, here's reality therapy, the Bible. <laughs> if you don't like it, I'm not teaching reality therapy. I'm teaching the Bible, and if you don't like it, fire me. And they actually ended up paying me. I was getting $300 an hour to teach in the university. Can you imagine? To preach the Bible. That's amazing. Faith in God, amen? I've got faith in God tonight. I have faith in me. Faith in God, faith in Jesus. It's amazing. And he's saying, this, listen, you group of people in Rome in the middle of four million people with an empire that's controlling the world with idolatry, with wickedness. You think this is, is, we have an evil day today? You should read about Rome in those days. Bestiology, having sex with animals. It was unbelievable what was going on there. Faith. Faith, Amen. 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 Then he says to him three things. First of all, it was about separated to the gospel. Then the vision of the gospel, the plan. Then faith. And then I want you to know who you are. I am debtor. I have an obligation. Sometimes we don't like that word, you know. Is that works, Pastor Chevelli? I'm a debtor. I have an obligation. I am ready. The word ready in the Greek means I have a forward mind. I am ready. And I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. Are you with me? I'm debtor, I'm ready, and I'm not ashamed. And this church is going like, to make a difference. Read about this church. In Romans 15, the word nations is mentioned 10 times. In Romans 16, he mentions 36 people. See, vision, purpose gospel. I'm separated to it. I have a vision from it. I have faith in it. And I have a, I'm a person and we are people in a church who go forward as debtors, as ready, and as not ashamed. Let's keep going. Amen. So how about a thousand churches? What's the deal, you know? What's the deal? I'd like to see us have a thousand churches before I leave, but I'm not leaving. So in Jesus' name, amen. All right, can you turn to your neighbor for a minute and go over a few of those things? Uh, help me out, because I want to rehearse it too in my mind. 
was like really good. All right, go ahead. All right, first, uh, separated unto the gospel, right? Uh, separated, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get it all right, I think, but separated unto the gospel. That was one, right? And then uh, uh, I have this faith, the word seven, faith seven times. What was the second one? Vision, vision. I'm separated unto the gospel and I have vision. And then the next one? Faith, faith, seven. He mentions faith in chapter one. Living in faith, okay. And then I like the part about, I, I have a, a sociology uh, professor who has an extrapolation, he's a Christian, of how many, how few Christians in the beginning, in the first century, and then the, then the numbers and how by the third century, it was like there's possibility that more than half of the Roman Empire was Christian. Yeah, that, that was why it turned. Because the temples were empty. Temples were empty. The idea, ideas of the paganism were not as good as Christianity. Christianity took over by the intellectual intellectuals in the Roman Empire. So when you start, it isn't a matter of how many there are. It's a matter of is it true? Is it true? Does it work? It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be a lot of people. It just has to be the real thing. Right? And that that's what happened. Anyway, thank you pastor. We got something to chew on. I got to work on that myself, Romans chapter 1. What a good, good text. Okay. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. We've got uh, the Healy family down here. That's amazing. I thought of you guys a few days ago. Did anybody tell you that? Did anybody tell you that I was thinking about you guys? Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you. Good to have you. And then Virginia over here. Michael, right? Is it Michael? I know Tom, Pastor Tom Smith, but Mike, he's like a fan. And is this your family here? Okay, good to have you. What's your name? Cindy. Cindy? Cindy? Oh, okay. I can't read sign language. I can't read it, but she's signing her name to me. So thank you. You know I am deaf. You're one of the few people that know I'm actually deaf. Um, at lunchtime today, we served uh, 725 people in 28 minutes. Yes. They got to eat. That was great. There were Scott Dubay led the charge, three guys, Harold Bogardis, Bobby Berinsky, and Chris Regan. They were the sub guys, and then 60 volunteers. People cooked potatoes yesterday and all kinds of, you know, it was a great day.
to be able to eat together and, and fellowship. That was an awesome thing. So what a beautiful day we had today. Hey, how about, hey, with your neighbor, just for a minute, give two tips for having Thanksgiving together as a family. We call these Thanksgiving tips. Okay, do you have the love in your heart, the wisdom in your heart to give some advice to the person sitting next to you? Example, at Thanksgiving, be sure to control your tongue. Okay, go ahead. Thanksgiving tips. Be nice. Okay, how about it? I have one. Uh, how about this one? Prayer. Prayer, right? Another one? Anybody over here? Healy family? Gratitude. Gratitude. Another one? This area over here is very quiet. Yeah. How about, okay, gratitude. How about the prayer. How about love? Amen. Just pour love on people. Thanksgiving time in your family. Just love them up. Just love them up and give grace and pray for the event. It'll be just precious. And, you know, don't carry in your heart things that frustrate you that you want to correct in the other person so that now you're going to get them. It'll be right when they're passing the gravy over. I got it all planned out in my mind. I'm going to tell them exactly what I think. You know, hold on. Pray about it, right? Deal with it in your heart. Maybe, like, don't ruin the holiday, right? Why are you looking so guilty suddenly? All right, let's, let's pray for the offering, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Lord, truth is important. Yeah, may we speak truth with love. Love our families and our friends. Invite people. Invest love them. Encourage them with a lot of joy. Give us a great time of gratitude for all of your goodness toward us. We're in a free country. We eat a lot. We move around. We have our faith. Thank you. Bless this time in Jesus' name, we pray, amen. So let's just open up with prayer. Lord, we just ask you that you can just bless these words. We thank you for the worship. Thank you for the word from Pastor Shabelli. 
the gospel, that we have a calling, we have a vision, we've been set apart. Father, just bless these few words in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, great choir, that was amazing. They faked me out there because they finished and I got up to preach and then they kept on going again. And I was thinking, oh no, like I gotta sit back down here. And then I just, I hid, jumping the gun. Uh, Romans chapter one, I'll just go off of, just for a few moments here this evening, just go off of what Pastor Shabelli uh, was just speaking of with the Apostle Paul and his calling to the gospel, being set apart to the gospel. His, his heartbeat was the gospel. And the gospel really means that people will be affected by salvation, that people will receive Christ and people will be saved and churches will be planted. That was his focal point in his ministry and we know that. Over the last few years, actually, um, I've been preaching from Colossians and Philippians and Ephesians, and I've really been exercising myself just in those books and really seeing the Apostle Paul's life and knowing a lot of these things, but at the same time, my spiritual eyes opening up. And the one takeaway that I have with the Apostle Paul's life is that he was a man of joy. And that spiritual strength is really determined by where your joy ends, where your breaking point ends with your joy. That ministry should be filled with joy. But circumstances obviously can cause hardships in our lives and it can rob our joy. But the Apostle Paul had unbelievable spiritual strength because even in the face of great opposition, he never lost his joy. And I just want to bring that out just in a few verses this evening. Romans chapter 1 and verse 10, going off of what Pastor Shabelli said. He says this, I make a request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. He had a vision to go to Rome. Like Pastor Shabelli said that he wanted to get to the epicenter of the pagan empire, and that was in Rome. And at the end of the book of Acts, we see that the Apostle Paul wanted Rome to really be his center point, his, um, how could we say it, his home base, where he could launch out into Europe and be able to do his ministry. He has now done his ministry in Greece. He's done it in Turkey. Now he wants to get to Rome, and he wants to establish a foundation there in Rome with a solid church and send out missionaries. And his desire was he wanted to get to Spain, ultimately, to preach the gospel. But it's interesting here in Romans chapter 1, he says that I want to have a prosperous journey. Don't we all want to have prosperous journeys to get to where God wants us to go? Of course we do. We never set out on a trip and say, hey, honey, this is going to be great if we have a hundred problems on this trip. Or this will be an amazing trip if like the car like catches on fire or we break down on the side of the road or we run out of money. Won't that be great? No, what's our prayer? We want a prosperous journey. But we know in Isaiah chapter 55 that God has a sovereign plan, but his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His game plan, his playbook is much different than our playbook. So Paul has a desire, like all of us would, let this be a prosperous journey, but God had a different plan. And we know that plan is laid out in the sense that he did get to Rome, but it wasn't prosperous. In Acts chapter 21 to 28, that is really Paul's journey to Rome. And just in a nutshell, Paul wanted to unify the believers in Jerusalem with the Gentile believers. And we know that at that time in Jerusalem, they had a famine, and many of the believers in Jerusalem were poor and starving, and they needed help. And Paul saw this as an opportunity that the Gentile churches could now pitch in with an offering, and they could bring it to the church in Jerusalem, and he was going to bring some of his 
Gentile disciples with him to show the Jews, look at these guys are your brothers in the Lord. So he did that journey, he went to Jerusalem. But we, we know that when he went to Jerusalem, he had a few prophets that told him, Paul, don't go. Because if you go, you're gonna be bound. You're gonna be imprisoned. You're gonna be beaten. But it says that Paul was led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and he did. I love the man because he even saw the opposition and he still went forward in it, being led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit to fulfill the will of God. So he ends up in Jerusalem. Doesn't take very long for the Jews who hated Jesus and crucified Jesus to find Paul because they hated Paul and wanted to crucify him as well. And they arrested him in the temple because they said that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which was a false charge. And the Romans at that time, they had a dilemma on their hands because they knew that Paul had great influence in Israel and into the Roman Empire. And if the Jews took Paul and killed him, they would have a riot on their hands. So they decided, hey, we better take this man. And they found out actually he was a Roman citizen. So that was even more of a opportunity for them to say, we'll take him. So they take Paul from Jerusalem and they bring him to this city called Caesarea, right there in Israel on the Mediterranean. And Paul is there for two years. This is an amazing period of time, really, if you look into it, because Luke, the physician, is with him at this time. And a lot of where Luke gets his gospel is during this time in Caesarea when the disciples are coming up to visit Paul. And Jesus' mother Mary must have gone up, maybe possibly, to Caesarea to visit Paul. And this is where Luke gets the account of the gospels of the life of Christ. And after two years in Caesarea, Paul says, I need to stand before Caesar. I'm a Roman citizen and I need to stand before Caesar. So they put him on a ship. And some of you, many of you know the story. They set sail and it was not a prosperous journey whatsoever. But throughout the entirety of it, you see that Paul is meeting disciples. He meets disciples when they land in different ports and Paul is doing his ministry. Paul is doing his ministry so much that there's one point when they're on the ship and the ship is about to break into pieces that the captain and the Roman guard look at Paul and say, Paul, what are we supposed to do? Even in that situation, as a Roman prisoner, Paul was still in charge because they knew that Paul had God on his side. But let's just look in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 28, we see when Paul lands in Italy, they bring him to Rome and in verse 16 of chapter 28, and when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. It seems as though that Paul had some level of favor with the Roman centurion, that since Paul was the one who was really leading them on this journey, the word maybe got back that this man maybe give him special treatment. We don't know, but we do know that it was a part of God's plan. He's a prisoner, he's in Rome, but he is, in verse 16, by himself. And we see in verse 20 that he had the opportunity to call people to himself. So he was meeting with the Jews in verse 17. He was meeting with the Jews in Rome. And whenever Paul would go into a city, he would always go to the Jews. He would go to the synagogue because he had a heart for the Jews in Romans chapter 9. So he gathers the Jews together. And what is he saying? That I'm in chain, but that is not going to stop me from preaching the gospel. In verse 30, we see that Paul was given a hired house or a rented house 
And he received all that came in unto him. So here we have the Apostle Paul getting to Rome, but getting to Rome on God's timetable by God's plan. And it's in chains. But he's in this house, and we see in verse 20 he is chained. In the custom, the Roman custom, when you were under house arrest, you were chained to a soldier. And they actually have found these chains that these people who were under house arrest chained to soldiers. They found them in their digging, in their archaeological work. And these chains are like handcuffs. And the handcuffs are chained to the prisoner, and then there's a chain that is a little bit longer, and then there's another set of handcuffs that the guard would be wearing as well to keep the prisoner captive. So Paul was in house arrest, chained to a centurion imperial guard. And the Roman custom was that they would work six-hour shifts. So you would have a guard for six hours and then another guard for six, and you would have four centurion or imperial guard soldiers chained to the apostle Paul in one day. Paul lost all Liberty, all freedom to be able to move about like he has in his ministry. He has lost his ability to plant churches. He has lost his ability to go out on a public square and preach the gospel or go to a synagogue. But now the Apostle Paul is under house arrest, chained to Roman centurions for 24 hours a day in verse 30 for two years. Now there was a church that supported the Apostle Paul. But you have to think at this point in Acts chapter 28, it's been four years since Paul has been arrested. Four years. There's many churches wondering, where is Paul? How is Paul doing? What is Paul up to? Is he dead? Is he alive? Has he given up on the gospel? Has he given up on this expansion of the kingdom of God throughout the entire world? Has he given up? But they get word. And the church in Philippi gets word. And they get word that Paul's alive. Paul's in Rome. Paul's not only in Rome, but he is in under house arrest. So they say together, the elders in the church, or they, they have a little meeting after church, we have to send somebody to go see how Paul's doing. And they wanted to know two things. How is Paul doing, and how is the gospel doing? Those two questions are the book of Philippians. How is Paul doing, how is the gospel doing? Well, if it's up to God, they're both doing very well. So let's look in Philippians chapter 1. Now we know the book of Philippians is about joy. But now that we understand that joy is not based of circumstance, because this is probably one of Paul's worst positions he's been in. And we know in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's received beatings, he's been stoned, he was apparently killed, he has all of Asia turn their back on him, he says that not, not one person in Asia is standing with me. We know in 2 Corinthians that the whole church in Corinth had turned their back on him. And he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all the physical beatings are one thing, but the anguish of the separation of relationship with the church is the thing that causes me the most pain. But Philippians is about joy. This man has spiritual strength. Again, our spiritual strength is determined by where we lose our joy. If 
my finances aren't good, I might lose joy. That is the limit of my spiritual strength. Now we're all growing in that. And Paul is gonna say in Philippians chapter one that the spirit will supply everything that you need to fulfill the calling that God has given you and he will give you that strength. But Paul is just an unbelievable example of a man who is weak like us but filled with so much joy. Look at what he says in verse 12. But I would... You, you, I want you to know, I'm reading King James. I never read King James. Sometimes I just run out of the house, I grab a King James Bible. I don't like that translation. What does that one say? Same thing. Do you have ESV up there? Sleeve, you got ESV? Ah, okay. There we go. I want you to know. That's bad. Isn't that, come on. Isn't that how we talk these days? <laughs> but I want you to know. In the Greek, in the Greek it's, it's beautiful because he says, this is very important, pay attention to this. He wants them to know how he is doing, verse 12, but I want you to know and I want you to understand, brethren, to the church, that the things which happened unto me, what things? My arrest, my imprisonment, my house arrest. Remember, they haven't heard from him. Now Epaphroditus is with him, and Paul is saying, Epaphroditus, take out a little pen and paper and jot this down. I want you Philippians to know this for sure. I want you to understand this, because this goes against any kind of human reason that I am in the position that God wants me to be in. Because if we go down in the chapter, there's people that are preaching the gospel, and they're saying that Paul's in prison because of a hidden life of shame. There's people saying that he's in prison because he's a sinner and God is judging him. Paul says, I want you to know and understand this, that God works differently. This is how God is working. It has, all these things have happened and have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. I want you to know that I am in the position that God wants me to be in. I don't know if I'm gonna lose my head or not, but he has placed me here for the furtherance of the gospel. How has the gospel furthered Paul? You're under house arrest. You can't move around. Look at what he says in verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. Can we have the ESV? Better. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Now who's the imperial guard? Julius Caesar had the imperial guard, because he was so afraid of insurrection, of being overthrown, that he created his own secret police. And at the height of it, there was 10 to 12,000 of these soldiers, that they were the imperial guard or the secret service that protected the Caesar. And Paul was commissioned these guards, four of them a day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go soul winning, to keep someone in front of me for 30 seconds is hard. Imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul for six hours. And then another one comes in, and he's coming out, his eyes are like this, and he's saying, good luck in there. And they're dealing with a man that is so on fire for this Messiah so on fire for this man who is called the son of God that the old Paul, who was a scholar in the Old Testament, goes back to the book of Isaiah, goes back to Jeremiah. 
and talks about how the prophets spoke about the Messiah and he was going to be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, come out of Galilee, be a man who healed, a man of grace, a man of mercy, and that ultimately he would be the sacrificial lamb that was spoken about in the book of Genesis. That this lamb came for the salvation of the world. And this lamb came to me in Acts chapter 9 when I was killing Christians, soldier. I was killing the Christians. I was persecuting the church. And this Messiah was so gracious that he set me apart for this gospel so that I could be a vessel of his grace. You're a pagan Roman imperial guard, barbarian, but so am I. But that didn't stop the limitless of this Messiah's grace that could be given to you. So what happens in verse 13? I gotta go to the ESV. Throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, who are all the rest? Well, they would go back to their barracks at night. Not only would they go to their barracks, but they're in Caesar's house. Who's the Caesar at this time? It's Nero. You see the Colosseums? You know what Nero did to Christians? He would tar them. He would impale them, and he would light them on fire to light the streets at night. That much he hated Christians. But guess who is getting saved? Look at it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 22. Verse 21. Who's getting saved? The imperial guard are getting saved. Who else is getting saved? Verse 21. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of the household of Caesar. Who's getting saved here? Nero's family? Nero's guards? Now I like to think if the Apostle Paul wanted to get to Rome on his own accord and he found a street quarter, would he ever be able to get to the imperial guard and into Caesar's house? Are his ways better than our ways? Are his thoughts better than our thoughts? Paul is saying, guys, you're not going to believe it. I know it looks bad from the outside, but from the inside, if you knew that people are being strengthened, people are being saved, and I'm just here in chains. Can the gospel be bound? And I said to the church a few weeks ago, preaching this portion of Scripture, what are you chained to in your life? that you think that the gospel in your ministry is limited? Are you chained to a job? Are you chained to a relationship? Are you chained to a place? And you have this attitude, no, 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 I'll get to the gospel when I go on the mission field. I'll get to the work of God when my situations are right. I'll get to God when I'm physically and mentally strong. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. The situation that you are in, the Spirit will supply the grace and the power so that you could fulfill the commission of preaching the gospel. Where are you chained? In verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my, bound, by, by, by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So those are the believers, like Pastor Shabelli said, in the church in Rome, they have 120 believers. But they're seeing, now, it seems as though in Philippi, they were starting to feel a little bit of pressure from the Roman Empire because when Nero was there, he was putting pressure on the church. 
So they were maybe backing off a little bit. And in Rome, they seem as though they were backing off a little bit from going out and sharing the gospel. But when they see Paul's situation and that he's about to lose his head, but the joy that he has and how God's using him to save the empirical guard and Caesar's household, they are now emboldened. Aren't you emboldened when you see the work of God in other people's life? Paul is saying, guys, this is great. I couldn't have planned this up better myself. People are looking at my situation and saying, if Paul could do it, maybe God could use me to lead people to Christ. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. Not only, here's the last point, not only did Paul have joy in his situation of being in prison, now he has people that are in the church in Rome that are speaking poorly of Paul. And the reason why we know that they're speaking poorly of Paul, because in verse 19, and this could maybe be for your own study, in verse 19 he says this, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. That is a direct quote from Job 13. Just a quick overview of that. Job chapter 13 is where Zophar, his friend, comes to Job and says, Job, you're being judged because God is judging you based upon your hidden sin. Job's like, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. I didn't sin against God. God said that I'm a righteous man. No, 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 Job. No one gets judged like this if they're a man of God. No one does. And Zophar even goes as far in chapter 11 to say, your judgment isn't even worthy of what you should deserve because your sin's that bad. So imagine being falsely accused. Imagine being in prison and your motive is strictly so that Christ will be manifested wherever you go, through your body, through the preaching of the gospel. In verse 15, look at what he says. Some are preaching Christ from envy and strife. Now, I think Paul is writing this to the church in Philippi because he knows that this word is going to get back to Philippi. Hey, did you hear about Paul? He's in prison. You know why he's in prison? Because all along he's been living a hidden life of shame. Therefore, everything that he taught you, you can't really believe it. Do you see how that works? They were never trying, Paul never really cared about being discredited in his own reputation. He just didn't want the message to be discredited. So when he was in prison, he can't go out and defend his case. He can't go out and vindicate himself. So in verse 19, he says, this will turn out for my salvation, or another Greek word is vindication. That God, people will realize that I'm in here based upon the plan of God. But look at what he says about these people that are preaching from envy and strife. I love this. He goes on, verse 16, 17, verse 18, he says this, what then? The Greek, you could, you could translate it like this, so what? They're preaching the gospel. That's what he says. These men are speaking ill of me, but it doesn't rob me of my joy because the gospel's being preached. Wow, can you wrap your head around that just for a minute? I know we're talking about the Apostle Paul, but he was a human being just like us. This man's eyes were so far off of himself and on Christ and his calling that if that calling was being fulfilled, he was happy about it. Even at his own Basically, attack or they were belittling him. But look at, he says this, what then? So what? 
Whether it's done in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached. And therein do I rejoice, and yea, will rejoice. Paul's life was always summed up in this, that he wanted to glorify Christ in verse 20 through his body by the preaching of Christ. What does that mean to glorify Christ in your body? It means to make Christ as glorious, as satisfying, as beautiful as you possibly can. And he goes on in the chapter to say this, I want to go home and be with the Lord because that's far better. But for your sake, I will remain so that your joy in Christ will increase. You know why the only reason why Paul didn't want to go to heaven? So that other people can enjoy and see Christ for who he is. He wanted to be a part of the magnification, the glorification in Christ in every nation all across the globe. When our eyes are outside of ourself and our situation, and our perspective is a heavenly one, knowing that God is sovereign, God is providential, meaning that God will provide everything that's needed to fulfill his sovereign plan, and you're a part of it, you're a piece in it, and you can relax in the fact that he's going, if he started a good work, he's gonna complete it. You can just relax, he'll provide every part and every piece, and it's gonna blow your mind away that his plan of doing things is so far better than if we try to control our own life. When we realize and we settle in that, and Paul was so settled, and he says, I want you guys to know God is sovereign, God has a plan, the gospel cannot be thwarted, it can't be changed. And like Jesus said this, last verse, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, sometimes you can think gates are offensive, right? Gates are offensive like it's a missile. Gates are a defensive weapon. So a castle has a fence around it to keep people out. What Jesus is saying, the gates of hell are not offensive against the gospel. The gates of hell are trying to be defensive against the gospel, but they will not prevail against the gospel. And Paul was so settled in that that he could say, I could have joy. My reputation is being ruined. So what? They're preaching the gospel. I'm in prison. So what? It's going to be delivered. It's either I'm going to lose my head or they're going to release me. He had such a divine perspective that gave him such a settled, peaceful, joyful heart that it was so contagious that these Roman pagan soldiers were saying, I want some of that. Isn't God's plan beautiful? God's plan is so wise. He uses the foolish things of this world to confound Caesar's house. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you. Father, just for the perspective of your plan, the perspective of your goodness, your grace, that we can rest and be settled in the fact that yes, we can lose our joy in circumstances, but if we can change our perspective and see that you work all things together, you're in control of all things. Philippians 4, my God shall supply every need according to the riches of his grace. If we can settle in that perspective, in the most dire situations, even facing death, we could say, to die is gain. Even death won't steal my joy. Yes, Father, keep us in this, that the joy of the ministry is what you want us to have. That we don't want to be burdened, we don't want to feel like we're controlling it, we're producing it, but rather we can settle in the fact that your spirit will supply everything needed to fulfill the commission of preaching the gospel to every creature. 
Father, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.